When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And these families, it's despicable that a reputable head coach could come out and say this when he doesn't get his way or things don't go his way. The narcissist in him doesn't allow those things to happen. And it's ridiculous But when, when he's not on top. And the parody in college football he's been talking about, go talk to coaches who coach for him. You'll find out all the parody. Go dig into wherever he's been. You can find out anything. And it's a shame that you've got to sit here and defend 17-year-old kids and families in Texas A&M because we do things right. We're always going to do things right. But we're, not, we're always going to be here. We're doing a heck of a job. These coaches have done a great job. Our players have done a great job. The whole organization of recruiting people. It's despicable that we got to sit at this level of ball and, and say these things to defend the people of this organization, the kids, 17-year-old kids and their families. It's amazing. Some people think they're God. Go dig into how God did his, his deal. You may find out about, about a guy that a lot of things you don't want to know. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast with Dave Honky. Boomer and Redcast Rob. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, Honky, and I'm with Redcast Rob. You know what? You want to call out a 17-year-old kid, you come talk to me. You know why? Because I'm a man. Wait, oh, I'm sorry. Was this a different conversation? Yeah, yeah I'm not sure what you're, uh, what you're getting at there, Rob. Uh, also with Dave from Husk Guys. What's up, guys? Happy to be here. That's it. Woo, oh, that you want me to do the full one? Lord, coming in hot. <laughs> oh, okay. So the hot take. You want me? To, I mean, we're going right off the right off the top rope. Then, go all for right. It, so go the, for it. the Kool Aid coming in hot. So last time we were on, what we're always committed to is the offseason national championship, right? The season ends. We finish three and nine, pretty close to the bottom, if not the bottom, right? As the Vegas odds come out, we have climbed all the way up. We are now the second best odds to win the Big Ten West at plus 250. And our work will not be done as offseason national champs until we are the favorites to win the Big Ten, which we expect to do by August. So that is the hot take. We will be the favorites to win the Big Ten by August if we keep yeah. pumping the Kool-Aid. Yeah! yeah. <laughs> it's happening. Hey, Jim. Hey, what's up, guys? <laughs> I can't top that. That's crazy. <laughs> I will say this. I think after Rob has hit his 500 followers, I've noticed a much bigger bounce in the steps. So congratulations, Rob. Hey, well done, my friend. 555 followers, Jim. All right. Oh, my God. I picked up two. Insane. To- the funny thing about that, Jim, I, the funny thing about that is this weekend I was sitting around like 530, and I literally quoted a tweet and just said, Scott Frost. My God, my mentions blew up. I picked up like 25 more followers over the weekend. It was the most insane. I, I, I think I'm just going to like quote treat, quote, quote, ugh, quote, tweet Scott Frost once a week. And well, I'll be up to a thousand followers by the time the season starts. Yeah, we'll get, Dave, get Dave to retweet you too. And, uh, and you'll be in good shape, man. You'll be right. There's nothing I tweet that Dave wants to retweet. Let's just be honest. <laughs> well, I have no doubt about that, but we have an amazing show here tonight. Redcasters. Uh, we obviously, the four of us talked before spring ball back in uh, late March or early March, whatever it was. 
And so now we're following up and doing the post spring summer, you know, roster discussion. We've got, we're going to dive into NIL in-state recruiting kind of the overall, you know, status of the program right now and go through the depth chart. So there's a lot going on. This is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, but first, as we always do, uh, let's go through our, our housekeeping items here. Uh, go to red or hailvarsity.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code REDCAST and you'll get $10 off your subscription to uh, to Hail Varsity for the first year. We have Smack and Smooch, which is custom shirts and specialty items. Uh, Shane Laura out there in Elwood, 308-325-2542. We've got a QR code and you can get yourself shirts and koozies. And also we have a fan form, the next one that we're going to announce here. And this is on June 1st at 8 p.m. Lance Schwartz, uh, Husker Vision OG storyteller with longtime storyteller with 1011 and uh, a Husker fan. So Lance and last but not least, Rob, uh, we also were wearing some shirts today, too, that are not from Smack and Smooch. Where yeah, where did shirts? you where did you pick that up? Hunky? Well, I got it in the mail. You sent it, or you had them sent it to me from Alumni <laughs> Hall. So that's right, Alumni Hall. They just opened up a sweet new shop in downtown Lincoln. I believe it took over one of the other shops. What shop was that, Honky? It was Husker headquarters. They also have one at Hus- Fifty Six and um, Highway Two. So yeah. there's two locations in Lincoln now. And yeah, and they just they just opened up there. And next time I'm in Lincoln, I'm definitely looking forward to going there and checking out this the store itself. You know, we we we've, we've gone around the Haymarket, checked out a couple stores there, but apparently this one is top notch and and you know number one with all of like the actual licensed you know swag and everything and i got my shirt there too so a little herbie love going on and you know rock and roll uh Mm -hmm. you know again that's alumni hall and you can also check their stuff out alumnihall.com backslash nebraska i think it is and you can see all of the stuff to purchase from them through there because they will send it to you in the mail. Yeah, so. I almost forgot to wear mine, so I had to run upstairs, and I'm still <laughs> trying to catch my breath. That shows uh, the amazing shape that I'm in right now. Well, that was actually a pretty cool package to get in the mail on, on cool. Saturday because, you know, and great quality, too. It feels good. I can't wait to uh, support this in Lincoln sometimes. So. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to uh, to talk a little football, and I think we got a great group to do it. Of course, you know, the biggest news of the weekend came out tonight and no balloons, fellas. Oh, my gosh. You know, no balloons this weekend. Trev said that on the radio. Uh, any, any hot takes on that? I mean, I can tell you I just learned from experience. We had my my daughter's first birthday party uh, this weekend and we could not get helium balloons. Like that's that's actually a thing. So I was <laughs> I, I didn't think about that translating to no balloons at Nebraska football games. But that is certainly a thing. You know, it's funny. Um there's a difference in audience on Twitter and Facebook. And I noticed we posted that on Facebook and immediately the conspiracy people came out and they're like, are you kidding me? You know, no, uh, you know, no helium or whatever, but you know, it happens. So uh, actually that's not the big news of the week. And and a lot of uh, what's happened here over the last couple of days and last couple of weeks have been the roster continuing to change over. And we've been getting uh, some new uh, transfers coming in. Uh, let's discuss the first part here of this first topic, we're going to go for about a half hour and talk a little NIL, then some recruiting and some some overall state of the program. And let's start with NIL discussion. I think that has some effect on some of the transfers and recruits. And we always go with our tweets of the week to begin with. So this first one here, Jim, uh, you had a really good back on, I think it was April 30th. You had, you had a really good thread you put together. It was about Nebraska landed the number one portal player at a position of need coming off a three and nine season. How did they do it? How does Nebraska play in this new game of NIL? Who else can play? What do fans think? What happens? And then a thread. And it was a really great thread. 
maybe uh, explain a little bit about what you went over in that thread, and then we'll we'll yeah. have that discussion. Yeah, so it's based around a, a book that I recommend to all of our audience out there called Finite and Infinite Games, and uh, it's a good book for life, for business, for your uh, for your career. But it's about being involved in games that have an ending or don't have an ending. So Finite, Infinite Games, but. I'm really fascinated by it to see what schools, what programs decide to get involved in this game. We saw the blow up. Uh, I was at uh, a few days ago over the weekend with Nick Saban and, uh, and Jimbo Fisher. I mean, these guys are heavily involved in this NIL game at a high, high level. I mean, these are elite schools competing for elite players. But how do the rest of these programs figure out their their space and their path in, in this new undefined game. There's no, there's no barriers. There's no, there's very little rules. And we'll get into that in a second. Um, but I'm fascinated to see how, you know, Nebraska, like a lot of things has decided to go first and decided to, you know what, we don't know exactly how this is going to happen. We're going to dive in and, and get involved. And that was uh, Trev Albert's very first kind of public statement about that. And we've seen Nebraska get involved in this game and, and get involved pretty aggressively. And so the thread was more about just, you know, one, obviously, uh, getting Oshawn Mathis was a big deal. And I don't think NAL was the sole reason why we got Oshawn Mathis, but definitely played a part. I, I think we can all agree to that. Um, but I went through and just kind of chronologically just talked about different schools, Iowa State, um, Purdue, that have flat out said, we're not getting involved. You know, we're mm -hmm. going to we're kind of going to sit back and we're going to watch this thing take place. We're going to kind of see how this goes. We're going to be grounded in our own culture and our own foundational pieces that work well for us. And, you know, they can't blame them for that kind of mindset, at least out of the gates. And, and so, um, but Nebraska is not that way. And we're kind of seeing them shoot out of the gate or shoot out of the gate with a pretty aggressive mindset. And so it was kind of just discussion around the, the, the game, if you will, and, and how people are playing the game. And it's, it's, to me, it's kind of fascinating to see who's playing and who's not and whether learning things that have happened and, Ultimately, how it's going to end up is going to be really interesting. So that was kind of the basis for the thread. Mm -hmm. You know, we uh, we talked with Tom Osborne uh, a couple of weeks ago on the show, and we had mentioned NIL with him and, and Transfer Portal and all that. And, you know, obviously he shares concerns as an old school guy. He shares concerns of what this is doing to the game and, and will fans come along with it. Um, I think, you know, our perspective on the Redcast has always been whether we agree with it or not, you, at the very least, you either play the game with the rules that are in, in place right now or or you risk falling behind. And I think you make, make a good point there, Jim, with some of the schools that aren't playing it. There's this assumption that just what Nebraska is doing right now, everyone's doing, and they're not. And I want to bring back up those tweets here because, uh, Dave, what you did with Huskies, and we couldn't say anything for a long time. We have a, a great thread going between Dave and and uh, Jim and I on Twitter and um and we knew for a couple of months that you were kind of putting together this collective with ABM. And I kind of want you to explain a little bit of what that is too, because I think some of the Redcasters listening, there's some misinformation sometimes out there. What is a collective? What is allowed? What's not allowed? You know, this feels dirty, but, but I mean, you've set up something that's through the rules. It's through ABM, which is a uh, Garrett Lambright's uh, uh, company that works with some of the players and make sure that uh, the everything is going the right way. And so, can you kind of explain what that collective is and, and how people can contribute to it as well? Yeah, yeah, happy to. And the um, it, it goes back, you know, I've sort of been fascinated the same way Jim has and, and you have been as well, of like what, what direction is NIL going to go? And I've sort of been obsessively following as everything's been unfolding. 
And I have a, a text thread with a bunch of buddies from, from high school and, you know, we're, we're 24 seven on the Huskers and I'll give them a shout out. So Zach Lubeck and Chuck Hall and Alex Post, and we're constantly going at it. And I would say like nine months ago, before the collectives were pretty popular, um, you know, we saw the Gator collective pop up. So I would say that was probably the first one Florida had started a collective, which is a fan driven collective. And I, I think as you think of NIL, you know, the popular things that everybody was immediately thinking of are you know, the big boosters that are going to come in and donate. You know, quite a bit of money. And then the big corporate sponsorships and the car dealerships and those sorts of things, which, you know, obviously are going to exist. But what, what was interesting to me about the Gator Collective is they were the first ones that I had seen that brought in fan support. And they allowed fans to contribute to these broader collectives at $1, $5, $10, $20 increments. And so, you know, this, uh, you know, buddies of mine and, and my brother as well started working through like, what would this look like if we did this for Nebraska? And we started to wireframe out what a strategy would look like. How do we put this together? How do we start to, you know, how much capital do we need? How much capital do we want to raise? How do we build out a website? And we started networking within, you know, the Nebraska community, see if anybody was doing this already. And a lot of the signs, you know, and the, and the folks that we had met with pointed us toward, toward Jared Lambrecht, who is uh, at the Athlete Branding and Marketing, had just launched his, you know, I think he's a little more than a year in business um, for his agency. And he had been previously the chief of staff for Scott Frost. So he had all the direct relationships with the players. And so that was a huge piece of it where he had working directly with the players, almost all of the players on the football team, as well as volleyball team and um, baseball team and a few of the other sports that, you know, he had those relationships that were running through there through the, the sponsorship side. And so he had had some similar ideas to launch a fan driven collective. And so we thought it would be best as opposed to drawing, you know, launching something separate to join forces. And so for this comp you know, component, I think it's the first iteration of trying to draw fan support uh, for it is, you know, do, you're able to contribute and become a member of, you know, the website you put up there, n100husker.com, get access to, to gear, memorabilia, videos, interviews, video chats, events. And, and, you know, the idea and really what we saw, like the gap in the marketplace is it wasn't just like the sponsors and, you know, the corporate, and the big boosters. But as I looked particularly, like, where could we help, right? Like with that bias for action, how can Husker fans like contribute? You know, we have over 50,000 uh, followers across a variety of different uh, accounts that if you start to add in $10 a month across, you know, 50,000 plus followers, plus everything that you guys have across the broader network, you know, that adds up to, you know, three, four, five million dollars on an annual basis. And if you read about where NIL is going, the big war chest that folks are building up, you read about Texas and A&M and what Jimbo is going off on, they're talking about 10, 15, 20 million dollars in annual operating uh, you know, capital that they're looking for. So I, I saw it as a, as an interesting opportunity to bring in the big competitive advantage that Nebraska has is, is, is fan support. And mm -hmm. I think as you look at some of the transfer portal stuff, I think everybody immediately goes towards like the dollars of like, there's a dollars component to it. But I think what's, what it is, is a bigger signal on the recruiting side is you got Husker fans are going to sell out the stadium. You've got every local business in Lincoln, as well as broader Nebraska wants to help and be a genuinely a part of these kids' lives. And then the fans too are contributing too. And I think they feel that momentum. They feel the articles, they feel a lot of the stuff that's going on. So I think, you know, a lot of people look at it as like, Oh, it's free agency. But I, I guess where I see it is they see it as like, wow, this whole state is behind you in, in so mm -hmm. many different ways. And I think that's what you're starting to see in the transfer portal is I think the players are seeing that. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, Jim, you had mentioned O'Shawn Mathis and what's interesting is so many of the things that he talked about and his mother talked about, from the recruitment standpoint, were very traditional old school recruiting tactics and things that, you know, that the honesty that obviously Frost brought to him and she highlighted that. And so it, it, it's still, you still have to be good at those old, old school things. And yet the, the NIL is one supplemental way, one of many ways to bring these, mm -hmm. these kids mm -hmm. under in under the rules of today now. 
Yeah, I think we forget, like sometimes we think about, oh, it's going to be so easy, right? We're going to be offered this much money to go to Tennessee or this place or that place. You're just talking about somebody having to move their life, right? Oshawn Mathis is from the Dallas or from the um, Austin area, right? He's going to have to move from Austin to Nebraska. So we can talk about the different things that are involved in NIL, but at the end of the day, it's still someone actually, a human being, a kid in college, right? Moving his life someplace else. So in, in Oshawn Mathis' situation, you know, I was impressed with the the methodical work they did, him and his family, in, you know, vetting out Nebraska. I mean, they went to down to the body language of the players to the coaches. This was a, a a business move for him. He wants to be here one year, you know, at the most two years, right? But at the end of the day, it's it's more than just, you know, what opportunities do I have in NLX? It's do I get along with my teammates? Do my am I gonna fit in Lincoln, Nebraska? Am I going to respond to Coach Dawson the way I want to be coached, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, these are all things that him and his family really, I thought, did a good job of vetting out. And, and obviously, NAL plays a part in that, but it's not going to be the end-all, be-all. I think we have to remember that as Nebraska fans, you know, as we get into this conversation about, you know, transfers coming in, the amount of transfers coming in, and um, is they're doing some homework too, right? It's not going to mm-hmm. be just move here and voila, things happen for me, right? There's – there's obviously homework involved and there's a lot of making sure this is still a good fit. I mean, we're still in the middle of the country. I mean, this is still mm-hmm. a small population state. So I think we get all caught up sometimes too much and it's going to be so simple. And it's just going to be, you know, it's this money grab here. People are moving left and right here and there. There's more involvement, I think, than just on the, what we see on the surface. Yeah. And, you know, Jim, some of the fit that you're talking about is, you know, strategically the X's and O's fit right now. There's changes potentially on both sides of the ball. Um, if you're a receiver, if you're someone coming in on the offensive side, are we going under center more? You know, you've heard mm-hmm. more about the power run game. If you're a defender like Oshan or Drew or or Win now, are we running four three? Are we running three four? I mean, these are these are things that you know you're not just jumping just because someone's giving you an NIL deal. You want to make sure you understand what the fit is, what you know, what's the scheme going to look like. And I'm not convinced, and we can get to this a little later when we talk roster. I'm not convinced that we're going to see all the same scheme that we just saw in the spring. I mean, I think there's going to be some things, some evolutions on both sides of the ball. And a lot of the transfers that have been brought in, the one thing where I will call them free agents is that the expectation is that these guys in most cases are going to come in and provide pretty ready depth in some fashion, whether they're starters or they're, you know, right off the, right off the second string, whatever it is there, there's going to be some immediate contributions from them. So, um, and they can yep. help, you know, change us if we are going into a little bit different, uh, you know, X's and O's kind of setup. Well, next then, I think uh, this is in-state recruiting is an area where I know Jim, you and I have, we share so many agreements on. This is important. We want to get our guys. And uh, I want to bring up a couple of uh, tweets here. And this is what's happened here over the course of the the last couple of weeks here. We've uh, Carter Nelson from Ainsworth. He's a 2024 guy. Uh, we He's blessed to have received another offer. Um, we also have, uh, Malachi Coleman. He is set up for his official visit dates, June 3rd here. So, uh, at the first of the Friday night camps, Friday night lights. And then the one that has been kind of a, a little bit of a, you know, mystery here the last few weeks is Cade McIntyre from Fremont. Uh, you know, he just got the, the offer and we show it here from Iowa. He also has one, I think from Minnesota and some other, you know, division one FBS ones, but not a Nebraska one yet, um, to just, quickly glance over the all the offers that we have out there and redcasters you've seen this graphic a number of times now we do have seven offers to 2023 20, kids three of them are committed from in-state 
We also have the four offers out to 24 and then two out to 25. So there's a number of offers out there, but, you know, we still know about, um, you know, obviously Flores, the quarterback from Gretna went to Oklahoma state. There was also a kid from Omaha West side that just went to Vanderbilt. So that's nine uh, FBS D one kids. And now McIntyre, that makes it 10 in state that are getting these offers. I mean, that's a great thing. Let's start with that. that it's a great thing that Nebraska kids are being recognized, identified and, and pursued. But, um, you know, Jim, I'll start with you on on what it what do you think when you see all that? And and I guess also the McIntyre one, you know, does do we need to get that one out to him too? Yeah, so I you know, I think obviously on the surface it's kind of exciting. We talked about this a little bit in our, our DM conversations, but the amount of talent in Nebraska has been steadily increasing, right, over the last uh, three or four years, and it's it's only getting better down the road and kind of coincides with what we're seeing next door in Iowa, right? Their in-state talent is increasing as well. I think they had 21 three-star players a year ago. So um, in the Midwest, you're seeing whether it's the offseason, whether it's the Steve Warren academies, but there is more talent being developed in Nebraska than we've seen in a long time. So to Honky, to your point, that's a great thing. More kids getting scholarships, more opportunities to play college football. Uh, you got to love that. So that's interesting and fun to watch. And, you know, as far as McIntyre goes, I know we – we kind of disagreements about that. And, you know, my frustration a little bit was, was, you know, I, I want to see in-state kids offered, right. Kids, especially I think when we see, let's face it, a team that's beat us right in Iowa going in and saying, Hey, you're worthy of our program. We want you in our program. And so as Nebraska fans, we see that and it's, why aren't we offering? Why aren't we going in there and seeing his exact same thing Iowa seen, right? He's a kid that's six foot four. His brother just ran a 10, five, you know, 100 meter dash or whatever it was. I mean, the kids obviously got talent. And so there's, I think for me, it's a little bit of frustration, just not knowing we're not involved in the meetings, right? We're not there. We don't understand. Mm-hmm. We don't see their board. Um, we know we have limited spots. So I, I think that's kind of hard as a fan to, to kind of rationalize sometimes and, and mm-hmm. you kind of have to just uh, trust the process and, um, you know, see what happens. But I, I can, I can understand both sides of it for sure, but it is kind of interesting with, with his case in particular. Yeah, the trust of the process is kind of a challenging thing, I think, for a lot of fans out there. It's when we lose a Casey Rogers, and I, I retweeted a tweet that we did right after losing Rogers, and everyone's jumping off the, oh, my gosh, what's going on? And it was like, hey, everyone, settle down, eat some dip. You'll be okay. <laughs> you know, the transfer portal swings both ways, right? And we'll get our chance to get some back. And I think that's the thing for me. Like, when I, I pay very little attention, honestly, to recruiting in terms of the specifics about a player, especially until they actually come here. I just don't spend a lot of time on players until they've, you know, officially committed and they're here. And the, the reason behind that is because there's just so many dang kids out there. There's so many stories, right? There's so many things. And and I, I, I wait. And my big issue or my big thing is I want to make sure there's not systemic issues. And so if we miss on an in-state kid, that's one thing. If we miss on an in-state kid and we're not offering the other seven that we have, that's where, you know, I don't feel systemically like we're not doing something right. There, there can be a ton of reasons why I don't, I have no idea why we haven't offered one kid yet, but he certainly seems like he's getting the right offer sheets now, you know, or the offers coming to him. And, um, and to your point, I mean, you, you know, that's a risk when you, if you lose a kid out of state to a team that, that you're playing against every year, and if you get beat by that kid too, we saw that with Noah Fant, we've seen that, you know, Keegan Johnson now is over there. I mean, there's that particular team, but there's other schools that have done the same thing. Uh, that That's not a, a great image at the very least. Dave, what's uh, what's your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the overall 
you know, back and forth is on, you want to, you hopefully have set up our culture to the point that every player in Nebraska wants to come here first and foremost. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think there's that component that even if they're not coming here, they're coming here to walk on. Right. And so I think that the concern is if we're not paying any attention to them, right. Then like, how do we, you know, are we offering, I think there's a million reasons why we do or don't, but in a state that isn't ripe with, you know, dozens of four and five stars like Georgia or Florida or Texas, I think the idea is, you know, we got to close off the borders to get these guys to come here. But, you know, I, I think like kind of like you're saying, it is hard, it's hard to, to speak to that because then you see some of the results that we're seeing recently. Right. You pick up when you pick up Mathis, you got Casey Thompson, you get Trevor Purdy. Like, the, the, you know, the staff does have a plan and they are filling it. Right. So like there was a ton of needs coming into the offseason and they're filling. Them. So I think, you know, it's easy for us, you know, sitting here on, on podcasts just to be able to be like, they don't know what they're doing. And they're like, <laughs> oh, yeah, well, I guess we did just get two Alabama four stars that just recruited here and left saving to come here. So, like, you know, I think that, you know, they're not uh, quite as blind leading the blind as maybe they come off when, uh, when you're like, oh, yeah, I guess we did have quite an offseason transfer portal haul. Mm -hmm. 15 so far. Well, 15 if, if Washington is indeed in here. We'll talk about that on the offense here. Um Rob, uh, I guess let's take a break here for a second. Is there anything that's come in comment-wise or any questions or anything yet from the you know, red guessers? Not a ton of questions. We did get – I put this up here a second ago. Eric Sockinson said, regardless of whether a single high schooler gets offered or not, it's apparent that there's a genuine focus by the staff to recruit homegrown Huskers. And I have to say that a lot of people are agreeing with that. I think mm -hmm. – um, you know, Benning was saying that that you know he's seeing a genuine um, commitment by this staff to like be seen in in you know the Omaha schools. And there was what what do you say? There's and I'm not familiar. I, I admittedly I'm not familiar with a lot of schools in Nebraska. You are, but he was saying there was a few schools that uh, Nebraska hadn't even gone to visit in years. Yeah, Bellevue um, East. The I have the, the audio, East, but it's, yeah. it's I knew like it was like an East something. Yeah, yeah, yeah Bellevue and, East. And, yeah, but he was saying that, you know, the coaches were just kind of ecstatic that, you know, the coaches at Bellevue East were ecstatic that they were showing up there. So I do think that there is a more concerted effort by this staff, and especially with a lot of the new guys that have just come in right this year. So with Frost 2.0, as I like to call it, mm -hmm. um, you know, and so it's so it's a whole kind of different look. It's 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 interesting to me because while people still want to complain about the lack of in-state recruiting, you know, Again, and I explain this, I'm always looking at the positive side of things. The amount of in-state recruiting that they're doing right now, even if they are still losing one or two guys, a majority of these kids are starting to come to Nebraska, right? So then then hopefully that's when we will start to build the walk-on culture again, as Coach Osborne said, what, last week? Um, that, you know, was such a big deal there that pushed so many of the guys that were the big-time recruits to play better as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't know. I think it's a – like you said, it's a process – so for once, I agree with you, Honky. And, <laughs> oh, you know, hey, hey, Rob. While we have Dave on the line with you, uh, uh -huh. can you can you hold up the uh, the Kool Aid for him? I well, as a matter of fact, yeah. And I was oh, it's so good, it. on. Yeah, <laughs> so I, delicious. Um, I was drinking out of it when you were giving whatever you want to call that. A, if, I don't, I won't call that a hot take, but you know, I mean. Yeah, and that was kind of a dig. But um, there's also a, a glass that I drink out of, too. So the lighting in here is a little bit weird during this time of year, I'm starting to find out. So um, it's the first time I've really been recording from this office. So I apologize, podcasters. And for those of you that can't see, totally ignore that last 10 seconds. All right. Well, Jim was looking like he was flipping sides and everything. So he uh, he just dropped off for a second. Well, hopefully we'll get him back on here. But uh, to go back to that, I mean, that basically. Is this, is this where we get to talk about him? Yeah, we can say whatever we want now. 
Um, you know, Jim and I, Dave was privy to all that. We we had our nice little discussion, our back and forth. And what I love about the the, the thread that we have is that, uh, you know, it's three passionate Husker fans that, you know, care deeply. And, and everyone's kind of doing their own part. I mean, D- Dave, again, I think what you've been doing, like, on just the personal side with, like, the collective is amazing. I mean, that's just one fan going out there and saying, well, number one, hey, I'm going to go build up the largest fan following uh, you know, on social media there with Huskers. I'm going to go and, and build a collective and do what we can. I mean, this is just, we're just, we're normal people. Hey, you know, Rob, you and I, we're just going to go do a Husker fan podcast and go get Osborne on and talk with Benning and talk with, you know, character and okay. all that. Why not? You know, I mean, you can be, you can take the energy that you have and you can turn around and be negative with it as a Husker fan, or you can turn around and you can be positive and people can call you Kool-Aid drinking for it, but who wants to be negative all the time? Well, I think that I guess that for me, that comes back to like the Husker fans are like unbreakable, right? Yeah. Like we finished three and nine last year. We watched nine losses nine and, I have, times. and I have spent every waking moment this off season. And all I have thought about is like, how do we get back to winning? Right. And that's like it. That's all I think about. It's, it's mm-hmm. like, it's, it's an illness. I think we we're saying even before we started, like there's, there's hockey games on tonight. There's playoff basketball, there's playoff hockey. And I'm like, no, I don't have time for this because all I can think about is I got to watch film for all the recruits that we have. I'm not, I don't even know what I'm going to do with all that film, but I got to watch it. I have to watch like all I've watched Casey Thompson's highlight reel for like 15 <laughs> times. I got to Now I have to catch up on wins and Marcus Washington's I'm like breaking down film that like, I don't know people have cracked me up. They're always like, what, you know, who's your pro sports team? Like I don't have time for any pro sports teams. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny, Dave, that you say that because I feel like you and I are that Spider-Man meme. Where we're pointing at each other, <laughs> but but here no, but you're making some great points too because Husker fans really are our own worst enemy. Um, so today I played in this golf tournament all day with with this guy, but the guy that I got paired up with, and I didn't even know him, and he comes in. I'm wearing a Husker hat, Husker sh- you know shirt, everything, like sitting in a cart, and this guy walks over, he goes, "Hey, I think we're paired up," and I look, and he's wearing all Michigan stuff, Oof. right? So we're talking, we're but we're talking. Super nice guy. His wife and him are from Ann Arbor. They went to school there. You know, she, they just moved out here because she got a job working for the Colorado Department of Public Health. So she's like, you know, we're, we're talking, we've got a lot in common. And he's like, so, you know, what kind of Husker fan are you? Blah. And I was telling him about the podcast. He's like, oh, so then he, he like literally goes on and he started following us today for the podcast, followed us on social media. But, and he was just like, man, I have to tell you every single Husker game I was watching last year, because you guys were probably the most exciting team to watch last year, not just because of like how you guys were losing those games, but because it's unbelievable that you would lose those games. He's like, I was rooting for you. He's like, even when you played us, I was rooting for you. And I couldn't believe they called that a fumble when Martinez was obviously tackled and stopped, you know? And so I was thinking to myself and I, and I looked at him and I was just like, dude, we need, we Huskers need fans like you, like, wear Michigan stuff to all the games, but come root for us. Cause that's the attitude that I want to hear. Like this guy well, is like pumping us up. The it's whole easy time, to have that know? attitude when you're not the fan of the program. Yeah, I was going to say, when you're, I, when you're not having your that. soul ripped I get out. that. But my point is, is he was, he took last season. He's looking at last season and he's just like, I don't want to play you this year. He took, he took you our know? losses so well, no doubt. Well, yeah, but he doesn't, <laughs> but he doesn't even want to play us this year. Cause he's, he honestly mm-hmm. sees a big turnaround. And I was joking saying 15 and no national champs. And he's like, you know what? I laugh, but he's like, but if it happened, I actually wouldn't be surprised if they played the same way they did last year, but the luck goes the other way. If we have the success in the portal that the other team in Michigan last year did, that's, that's what would be the key right now. And uh, let's talk about, let's transition over to 
the balance that has to take place right now between being a developmental program and also we need to win now. And going to do a little bit of, you know, just, you know, self-promotion here. We've had some guests on recently. I want to show a couple of video clips and then I want to get your guys thoughts after this. First one is uh, we had Benning on uh, about a month ago and he talked about the need to be a developmental program. So here we go. You have to be careful because one of the things that's gotten away from Nebraska that I think that they've really got to get back to is I'm big into like, you have to speak it into existence, say it out loud, say it out loud. And you have to acknowledge some things. And I think Nebraska has to say out loud, we are a developmental program, right? Mm-hmm. What we do is, is, is we develop. We, our freshman classes should supplement. They should be in addition to. They can't supplant what we're doing. We, Nebraska doesn't need to be in the business of playing freshmen immediately. Yeah. Uh, you need to be sprinkling in your redshirt freshmen, starting redshirt freshmen, or excuse me, redshirt sophomores and juniors, and then turning those guys over to the next level. It's all about development. So they have to be careful with the portal. Okay, so there's a discussion there about being developmental and being careful with the portal. And I want to match that or balance that with this, with these two uh, from Brandon Vogel and Steve Sipple as well on the pressure to win now. Consistently successful programs, I think, are built on kind of doing things for the sake of doing them. And as the thing I, that gives me pause with Nebraska right now um, is the pressure to win is here. It's really here now, like going into 2022. So how do you kind of flip that? You know, you can't make winning itself the goal. You kind of have to make being excellent at executing all of these tiny little things the goal, and the win should come with that. I have a healthy skepticism about the whole thing. I mean, I, <laughs> yeah, they got to make it work fast. That, that's the thing. I can't imagine. I mean, I, it's got to feel like fourth down over there every day now. And mm-hmm. it's a good way it, to say it. Yeah, and they got to they got to make this work quickly. And I don't know what it's going to, I don't know what that's going to look like. Dave, <clears throat> it's got to feel like fourth down every day there now. Now, that those are big words from SIP. And by the way, some of those were from March. Uh, so that's prior to a lot of the successes in the portal that we've talked about. The roster has changed over some. But as you hear that, let's start with you, Dave, on this. Um, you know, how do you balance that need that we need to be a developmental program? We need to de- develop high school kids and walk-ons and all those things with that balance of, hey, we're also bringing in some some guys from the portal that can help us now and we need to win now. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's, it's crazy uh, from a lot of different angles of what NIL, the transfer portal has done to rosters <laughs> that, you know, you've got all these players that showed up in January right after the season started and a lot of players that had left. And then a lot of players that had played the full spring. And now you have this crop of folks like Mathis. And, you know, I think Drew hasn't played a down. And, and now you pick up, you know, win today too. And then a few more folks potentially are coming this summer. And so, and then all the freshmen that are going to start in, in July. And you got to figure out how to teach them everything hmm. by, by August, right? Like that, I would say that's certainly not lost on a lot of folks. What's the number 33 total new additions this year out of 85? 32. 32. I mean, that's crazy. That's an entire new team. Like we are, I, you know, you start to put together these lineups, you don't even recognize half the players on the team, not to mention, you know, you're flipping the quarterback, you're flipping a lot of the wide receivers, a lot of the linemen, the D linemen. So I think there's an excitement to that. Like that's the exciting part of the off season is you're like, oh yeah, on paper, we are phenomenal. <laughs> we are starting four stars at every single position. 
But then when you actually play it out, you're like, how, you know, when is Mathis going to learn the playbook like tomorrow? Or when is like, you know, when does he actually get to like meet the guys? Um, so I, I, you know, I think that there's ideally you're in this developmental world and that's where I think there's a little bit of like, okay, Iowa is not playing in the transfer portal game because they've just developed their players and they're developing mm-hmm. properly, but mm-hmm. they're, you know, they're missing out on a little bit of the excitement of like, well, we just got Trey Palmer and we got Alshon Mathis and we got like, you know, all these big guys from the portal that can potentially be impact players right now. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's a fascinating thing to watch. Um, but I'm hoping with big impact players, like we filled all the needs that we needed to fill. So yeah. like, as, as far as I'm looking, like we needed some wide receivers, we needed some D linemen, we need some O linemen, check, check, check. Now, yeah. now there's no excuses, right? So but, Jim, and, oh, so Jim, we have, you know, the, the Michigan state last week or last year showed the ability to, to use the portal to bring in a whole new crew and it worked well for them. How do you balance that need to be developmental that Damon's talking about with that? Again, that need to, we had, as Dave said, some immediate needs. We had to fill some spots, and and that's what the portal's done for us. Yeah, if I think first look at the actual here and now, right? Currently, right now, Nebraska, Frost has to win this year, right? So you think about yourself, if you're in Frost's shoes, do you want to go with the guys that you have right now and say, well, these are the high school guys I've developed, and we're going to just see how it plays out next year, right? Or do you say, I'm going to be all in with everything, right? I'm going to get the coaches that I want, that I need. I'm going to get the recruiting person that I want, that I need. I'm going to get, because I can, every player I think can help my team win next year, right? And I think we have to look at that and say, that's 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 the reality of the situation we're in right now. We have to win next year. So I think you you kind of compartmentalize that for a section for this conversation. But then long-term, say – who we are. And you really haven't had Frost say a whole lot that he's development program, right? You've you've said a few times, but I haven't heard him really talk about that. So really, I wonder, I kind of wonder if he really wants to be a development program or if he wants to be a program that um, looks kind of like we have right now. I don't really know. I think we all in this podcast want that to happen, want to be a program we can develop and so forth, but I haven't really heard us define that yet. And so, I think here right now we go ahead and say we're all in. If the players need to make it better, um, but then work on that that high school part of it. Here's some kind of interesting. Think about think about Minnesota, right? Minnesota, Wisconsin development programs, right? Minnesota got eight transfers this year, okay? And their offensive line is a great offensive line. They they have uh, we think one of the best offensive lines in the country. They will actually have three transfers on their offensive line next year. So I, th- I think we think of ourselves as being the only one playing in the transfer game, but programs that develop guys like Wisconsin, they got six players in the transfer portal. Um, Minnesota eight. Iowa is the one exception. They only have one. But, I mean, there are other teams out there that are also developing guys and bringing a lot of guys in as well in this mm-hmm. new portal system. So I think you have to take a step back for a second and look at the kind of the big picture. Yeah, 15 is a lot for one year, but it's obviously, to me, it seems like it's probably the – the outlier in the situation because of the situation that Nebraska is currently in. I don't see that happening down the road next year. So. Sure. I mean, this is a season of, of transition, an off-season of transition period from the coaching changes that happened across the board, new special teams coordinator as well. So two of the three coordinators are new. And then what, what comes with that? We talked about the defensive potential changes with alignment. You're talking about a lot of changes to where you might need some new players yep. to to fit that. So. Yeah, I don't think this is a recipe for success every single offseason. I don't think Michigan State, I, I haven't looked at their 
their uh, transfer numbers, but I doubt that they match what they did a year ago. You know, they did what they needed to do a year ago, and if it works, it works, and if it doesn't, you know, you you'll you'll pay for it. I mean, we need we I think without a doubt, the one thing with these transfers is that you really do need them to to pan out. You know, Kate, Casey Thompson can't come in here and and be a you know an abstract failure. We need a guy that that's going to come in and and be a starter and be a leader, you know, like any quarterback. Now, Rob, you were uh, saying something, and I'm sorry if I cut you off there earlier. Oh, I don't even remember what I was going to say right now, so it's okay. <laughs> I, uh, that was like I, a month ago. I can jump in on that. Um, I think it was interesting what you are saying there, Jim, on, on Frost, on what he wants to be. I feel like he's almost like changed his identity almost every season, right? It, like he's – I, I appreciate it because I feel like he's learning from the mistakes and making changes, right? And we saw him make changes to the coaches. But even as you go back to like the first two years, he was recruiting tiny wide receivers, right? And it was like, okay, here's the tiny, fast wide receivers. They worked at UCF. They worked at Oregon. Year three is like, we're done with that. <laughs> we got, you know, now we got big guys like Omar Manning and Betts. And like every year he seemingly had to be like, okay, now here's a new offense. I'm going to try and see what works. And I think with that has come this like Frankenstein team that we put together. And ideally it would have been nice to start with this five years ago, but he definitely is coming with a like, okay, now, now I need, I need, a, I, I didn't have a pass rusher. Like, oh, here, here comes one. So I, I feel like he's, you know, I appreciate him because he at least doesn't stick with his, you know, he's like, this is what I'm going to do. He's at least willing to adjust, but it does feel like he's sort of put together like five different Frankenstein teams that have resulted in this team. That's full of good players, but it definitely has. I would agree with you, Jimmy. Hasn't been like we're going to develop, we're going to develop, we're going to develop. And I remember what I was going to say when you just reminded me too, Dave. Is that um, I think that what you just mentioned too is a little bit more of how some of programs like Nebraska, who are kind of rebuilding and trying to get back to a certain point, this is how it's going to be. I mean, it's going to look a little bit more and more, and I'd say it like the pro football model, where you're going to see more and more new players coming in every year with you know a lot of the like it's like the nfl right now right like these guys they have their playbooks but they're getting to their otas right now for the first time on their new teams all of them are going in for these you know 10 10 day otas and it's the first time they're that they're going to see a lot of these guys um and it's going to be the same way with a lot of these recruits hopefully with some of these transfers and these recruits that are coming in you know they get their playbooks and they are studying them and, and they are the reason why they were brought in is because they're the kind of people that are going to start learning this because I mentioned this on um, the Hill varsity podcast last week too, is that, you know, uh, Honky and I used to joke that like, if they're not on campus for the spring game, they're dead to me, but we can't think that way anymore, you know? And even guys like, and Honky and I had a great back and forth yesterday about Omar Manning and how I thought he was going to be like the number one breakout player. And then last year, he's going to be the number one breakout wide receiver. And he hasn't been yet. And this is his prove it year. It really is. And of course I'm going to stick with him the same way that I say 15 and 0, you know, but, it, and I think that, you're going to have to start seeing these guys though kind of opposite of that, making that instant impact because otherwise, you know, mm -hmm. and, and it's going to be every year. It's not just this year, not just for Frost's job, not just for, it's going to be for the next guy's job. It's going to be for the guy after that's job. It's going to be for a guy down at, at another college. Cause that's just what the transfer portal, portal is going to be. Yeah. I mean, I can even show it right up the street right here at university of Northern Colorado, where they just, they lost like 25 guys to the transfer portal. And now they're bringing in all these new recruits into town. So, well, and that's what I, know. 
to jump in on that point too, like that, that's what excites me about NAL. That's what excites me about the transfer portal, all of it that like, you know, going all the way back to where you started this thing with hockey with, with Jimbo and Saban going at each other is, you know, a, a lot of the narrative is like only the big, you know, the big schools that are able to raise these funds, raise these collectives to be able to participate in this world are going to be able to compete in this modern world. And I'm okay with that as long as we're in that sphere, right? Yeah. Like I'm okay with that. Like all these, all these people who are opting out of NIL entirely, Good. Send him like Division Two. <laughs> you know, like, I, hope, I hope Nick Saban goes on a rant about. It. Send him to Division Two, right? Like the NIL. big, the big guys are going to keep playing, and if the big guys can play, this is our chance. Like this is what I see is like let's seize an opportunity where we can we can you know take our collective fan support and let's continue to you know let's get back into that upper rung where we have it right. We have the fan support, the business support, the team support. Um, that's where I, I I feel like this tidal wave. If we can ride it back to the top tier, I think it's huge. Yeah, Nebraska. Oh, I was going to say, you know, talking about Frost and kind of who he is, and Dave, you talked about, you know, really, I wonder he's kind of changing each year, and, and he's kind of finding his way in this Big Ten, right? I wonder if he also enjoys the transfer player, right? The actual player that's coming in here that made a decision, he's got one opportunity to transfer in without sitting out a year. It's all about business for that player. It's not a freshman he's got to babysit and kind of figure out, are they going to adjust to Lincoln? Are they going to be okay in the dorms? Is he going to like the food? You know, he's, we're talking about an older player that's coming in here to compete like heck and to play, right? Not all yep. the time. They don't always work out. I mean, you can talk about, you know, marquee step. and But the Samari Torres, these, these players that come in, they got one year to maximize. I, I wonder part of Frost kind of likes this type of player, the Casey Thompson's that, you know, put in work, but now it's their time to shine and they, they got to hit it. They got to hit it hard. And there's no, there's no fuzzy business. It's, it's, here's the deal. Here's what we want you. You want to come in, you want to compete, you want to play. Um, there's not a whole lot of extra stuff. And I, I want, I, I'm just kind of theorizing that part of him enjoys that type of player. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think something that Benning talked about speaking it into existence, I think that's important with any staff, what it is that, you know, what's your philosophy? What, what do you want to be? Um, Jim, I know you have pinned to your tw uh, Twitter account, the, the comment that, uh, Joseph made about, um, uh, you know, in-state recruiting, how we want to close the borders out. You speak it out, out loud. Now I went to the first uh, coaches clinic that Frost did back in 2018 and the very first coach that he had up there to talk to us wasn't one of the, the position coaches or a coordinator. It was Duvall talking about weight, weight and strength and conditioning. And that was important. It was him speaking it out, out loud. I mean, this was a big deal. Spoke it into existence, showed Khalil Mack when he was at Buffalo Bill, uh, the Bulls. And, and uh, Duvall worked with him for four years and showed his photo from his freshman to his sophomore to his junior and senior year. Development, right? Developing a player over the course of time. I think Nebraska, we're going to be at our best when we have that mix, that balance of being a developmental program with also, there's probably always going to be an off season moving forward. And this is the one thing for Redcasters. If you hate transfer portals and, and NIL, um, I don't know. I don't think we're ever going to get away from it completely. I think there's every off season, there's going to be one or two or three needs, right? The goal is that you develop enough players over the course of time that you don't have to have 15 needs like we're having this, this off season. The goal is you're not making whole house changes across a, a staff like we did this last this last off season. You know we're not going to be changing X's and O's as much as we probably are during this off season. So the needs to go into the portal and have as much change isn't always going to be there, but it's always going to be there. There's always going to and and 
I think Dave, with what you're doing with the collectives and, and what we're trying to do across the board as fans, you know, everything we've done to, to support the, the team when it comes to recruiting, to, to show up at Friday night lights, to fill up the stadium financially, there's ways you can do it now with NIL, which I think is great. If those are the things that can help us get those one or two or three difference makers in, in those off seasons, that's going to be a good, that's a long-term success kind of strategy right now. I think the balance is we've got to win right now. Mm-hmm. We can't, you know, there is no worrying about what happens in 2024 or five. If, uh, if we're not, you know, having winning seasons this year, you know, and that, that's what the, that's the part right now. That's the, it's got to feel like fourth down right now, but we, we even talked about that with Dylan Rayola. I think one time, Jim, we were talking about, you know, that's December of 2023 when he signs wherever he signs. I know he's committed to Ohio state. I don't, I don't care right now. There's 24 football games guaranteed that we're going to have between now and then we've got to win yeah. now. So uh, I saw a couple of, you know, notes coming across the bottom there, Rob, uh, what do we have so far? Well, it's mostly about first, first Troy said good take. And so I'm just going to assume that was about my take. Um, sure it was. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. Cause you know, everybody, everybody loves them. Some red cast Rob um, transfer portal. Let's see here. The transfer portal allows us to supplement the program to fill spots left vacant from the high turnover of prior classes. And then he said, when classes stabilize, development will improve. It sounds, it seems like they're having a conversation in the comments here. So maybe we should just bring them on the show. I wonder if the portal will develop us from truly becoming a developmental program again, though, the kind of, you know, chicken and egg theory, right? Well, it will, it, it will if you're constantly doing 15 a season. Yeah. There's no doubt And then Eric Sockinson again said, if we continuously depend on the portal to fill gaps, then I agree. So, you know, hey, Eric, Ken, DM me. You know, we'd love to just – anyway, I'm joking. So Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I, agree with, I agree with those takes. I think it's like – it's an interesting chicken and egg that, that continually happens, right? Because I think, you know, I, as I look at this and, um, you know, it, the high turnover to prior classes, kind of what you were saying, Jim, like, Frost has missed a lot of guys, right? Like that, that can't be ignored there. Like, as you look at a lot of these guys that it's such a bummer that they're, they're taken off and, you know, the list of wide receivers that have come in that I've been pretty excited about that, you know, have gone and, and left and gone to North Texas and variety of other schools that I, I do agree with, with the piece there, Jim, that you're saying that he gets to recruit a 20 year old that has played, you know, 24 games in the big 12 or 20 games in the big 10 or whatever it might be that he's able to take them. Um, because there's just been a lot of misses. I, I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's on the recruiting and the development or what happens there. But um, I think that component, you know, can't be ignored in this whole equation. Like a big reason we're filling a lot of these gaps is like there has been a lot of misses that have gone out and, and taken off and gone elsewhere. Well, well some of it could be the system. Could it well, be the systems too? And maybe I, I, I'm all, asking a question. So Yeah, it's all of that, right? I mean, yeah. it, you know, I, that used to be my argument sometimes with Martinez. Is, is it the, the player? Is it the system? It's probably a little bit of both. It was an argument we were having yesterday, Honky. Come well, on. Well, I've had it many times with you. <laughs> yeah. How about, how about though, let's look at the staff that we have right now since the last time we played a game. And you want to talk about development. How do you develop players? Um, or a, a good way to develop players is to get the best developers out there. Is Mark Whipple a step up right now to coach those quarterbacks? You know, is Brian Applewhite a step up right now to coach those running backs? Is what Mickey Joseph doing a step up with those wide receivers, Dave, that you've been talking about over the, you know, this is now for some of these guys, probably the third wide receivers coach at Nebraska, but these are step ups Huge. across the board. And that's at least a good starting spot to talk from if we're, if we're talking about developing players. You know, I agree with that take hockey a lot. And and the way I see it too is um, I'll just give a good, good, like real world example for me. So for like years with my, with my, I've had a boss and then I've had my boss's boss. My boss left like a year ago 
And my boss's boss took over our team because she's like, you guys, you know, pretty much you guys have the talent that we need. We don't need to hire somebody and oversee you. I can now see it. Joseph and Whipple are kind of like my boss's boss, right? Like these are guys that have like so much more experience and they, they know they've got going to have the talent in here and they're just going to be able to, to run this team, in my opinion, a lot better than a couple of these guys have in the past, which is proven by the fact that Frost has had to step in and take over some of these things when, instead of just being the head coach. Right. So yep. now he's got bosses, bosses working for him, right? Like if you're, if you're a head coach and you're the smartest guy in the room, you're not going to win games, right? Like that's, that's a fact, right? The smart, you want the smartest guys in the room working for you. And that's just the way it goes. You want that from the top down and any successful organization is going to feel that. And I feel like Whipple and Joseph are probably two of the smartest guys in the room, especially when it comes to offense and add Bush into that. And I, I'm telling Uh, you, Osborne was pretty smart, but uh, yes, but he's also, you know, the goat. But he also admitted that he had a bunch of guys in his room with him that were, you know, just as smart as him institutional not knowledge that's They've right. been around with them for a long time oh, yeah. Wants to- yeah here's the question what is the head coach's actual job right the head coach's job is to coach the coordinators coordinators coach assistants and then they coach the players so we don't have to have frost coach the actual wide receivers and get involved in the wide receiver play i mean that's why you hire Mark Whipple. That's why you have Eric Chenander. He's developed his defense year after year into a better defense. He coaches them. And, yeah, he can get involved here and there, but his real job is to make sure that they're doing what he expects them to do. And, conversely, their assistants are carrying out the mission and the, and the goals and the, and the vision um, that Chenander and Whipple have for the offense and defense. So we, I don't really want to – you can't overcomplicate the, the, the role. Now, Frost has got to own that position and really make sure that, that what he wants and what he expects is being done by Whipple and, and Chenander. But that's why you go out and hire good assistants, right, so that you can make sure that you're messaging that running back room that wasn't really controlled last year. Didn't, they did a really good job there last year with just that room itself is now dialed in. I mean, you saw how quickly that room got – prepared and, and performed in the, in the spring. So I think we kind of have to back to Rob's point. I mean, the, the job of Frost is, is really, I think, defined. And, and we kind of have – I think we overcomplicate his his actual role in this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, Jim, I don't know if you are – are you talking into a microphone or we're hearing like some feedback when you're talking, so I don't – Let me uh, switch back to my uh, – I had to charge my phone. <laughs> this is great live TV. Or live no, – Light webinar stuff. Let me go back to my. Uh, I, I think what to pile on what Jim was saying there that like, and and going back to to Rob and Honky when you guys had had Ozzy on, like the institutional knowledge thing is that probably what makes me the most nervous for this upcoming season is, mm-hmm. you know, he had those assistants on his team for 18, 19, 20 years before really like turning the corner and hitting it big, right? So like, as much as I blindly trust Mickey Joseph to fully turn the wide receiver room around, and he's got all these new recruits, and they're just instantly going to learn the offense and be phenomenal. There is that element of like, you know, it did take, you know, it took Ozzy like 15, 20 years to kind of find like the magic formula. And so it is, I, I just feel like some of that falls on how much harder it is to coach now. And there's plenty of coaches mm-hmm. that are doing it. Mel Tucker did it, you know, Saban does it everywhere he goes. Urban Meyer does it everywhere he goes. And so those elite coaches figure out how to win right away. Um, but that, I, I would say that element, and it's not lost on me because it goes even back to the, the, the portal conversation we're having. We've added seven players since spring ended. You know, and so like all those guys are showing up to a brand new offense and a brand new team and a brand new offensive coordinator, a brand new wide receiver. So, you know, for me, I think like 
everybody's setting this ridiculously high bar. I think as long as they show pretty solid progress and hopefully it's impossible to show, <laughs> not show progress after a three win season, but you get up to six, seven, eight wins and you start to show the team is coming together. I think they can buy themselves some time. Cause I, mm-hmm. you know, asking, asking them, you know, these guys to turn the entire program around in six months is, is a tall, tall, it's a tall, t- tall order. Mm-hmm. I, you know, well, I, let's I go ahead. Let's, too, you know, we, I was just going to say, you talk about like development, missing on guys. Let's just, let, Purdue, for example, Purdue's developed, I think, the two best receivers in the division, right? David Bell and Rondell Moore in the last two years. Purdue is desperate right now for wide receivers, okay? They have their top guys going to be a transfer from Iowa last year, Tyron Tracy. They wanted Marcus Washington desperately. So are they developing guys the same way they should be with their with their track record of you know putting out guys? And why are they desperate to go in the portal for wide receivers? So I, I think they're – we can't just think of Nebraska having these needs. There are other teams that have needs out there. They're going after players in the portal too. I mean, Purdue has eight guys they brought in this year and they went one, nine games last year. So I, I wonder what is too much in terms of transfers and what is the actual sweet spot that's going to be people like, okay, that's, that's where we want it. Right. Is, I don't know. I don't know what that number is, but it's kind of interesting to kind of see what people's reaction to that is. It's, is it too much? Is it too little? I mean, Purdue, is it eight too much? Is North Minnesota too much with eight? I don't know. Yeah. Well, and Marcus Washington, that's an interesting one there with with uh, Purdue, because as we talked about earlier, Purdue is one of the teams that, that doesn't have as, as big of an NIL presence, at least right now. None. And, yep. and so, you know, that's not the only reason that we would get him. Obviously, I don't think we get him if we don't have a guy like Mickey Joseph coaching him, too. Correct. And these are all everything. It's we don't have to throw everything all into one. You know, this is the only factor that's going to matter. Everything's supplemental. If NIL can help supplement things, if the portal can help supplement things, we need to develop, you know, and be a developmental program. That's part of it too. Nebraska is going to be at its best when we do a lot of those things well. And uh, we've always been resourceful. I mean, that's something that is uh, the history of this program. I mean, we were the first ones to have a, a Husker vision kind of program in the, in the stadium, the strength and conditioning that we did back in the day, the walk-on program, the way that we use that, you know, there were a lot of things that, you know, were not natural resources that we had. It was just things that we built and and used to our advantage over the years. And right now in the new age of, of football, NIL, Portal, those are some of the things. And yet there's still some old school traits that will work too. So let's start to look at, at the actual roster. And we're going to start on the offense. And we kind of brought up a, a depth chart here. And Rob, if you can take that uh, the comment off here. Um, just looking at the depth chart here, I, I don't want to fixate so much on you know, every single player here, this is, this is kind of a guess on our, on our point here. And we put Kevin Williams up there at at right guard. Uh, We've talked with him back in February, Rob, you did. So, you know, we've got a little bit of bias there towards him, but you know, could he be the second string guard too? Of course he could, but this is a kind of start to give an idea of, of, I think players kind of across the board. And, you know, when you look at the number of TRs on here, transfers, I mean, here's Kevin Williams listed and there's Trey Palmer and there's Casey Thompson, three transfers on the starting offense alone. Here's uh, Isaiah Garcia Castanenda from New Mexico State, wide receiver, and, uh, you know, Anthony Grant's a Juco transfer, and there's Chubba Purdy. So, actually, both of the quarterbacks listed. Um, you can make solid arguments that Smothers, you know, could be on there too. But I think this is this gives us at least a visual to start the discussion. Um, I'll start with you, Rob. As you look at this, you know, what are you thinking offensively? As you look at this, as this lineup here, I mean, is this, you know, are you anything way off? Is this what you're expecting? I mean, 
What are your thoughts? I was surprised you had you had Kevin in there, and only because like I, you know, I'm just high on the Kool Aid on Kevin because I talked to him, you know, and and so I'm a big fan and I'm rooting for him. But um, you know, hey, if if you want to put him on for again, I think he's going to be one of those guys too. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, uh, if he's going to be kind of like that extra lineman too that they might bring in, yeah, a swing guard or something, yes, like could, a swing guard or you know, on like the big jumbo packages, things like that. Um, but there's going to be, I mean, it's so hard to tell. I mean, you're looking at this and I, and I'm looking and I'm going, God, Anthony Grant just looks so good in the spring game on, on that one run that he had, right? Like where he just kind of like went inside, bounced to the outside, ran it, ran it down. What was it like 50 something yards for a touchdown? Mm-hmm. I think that's how long it was. Um, you know, I mean, and then I'm looking at all these other, you know, one, it makes me smile because the fact that I even have to sit here and be mm-hmm. like, well, I might swap this guy with that guy really makes me feel good about it all too. Because, um, yeah, I, I'm yeah, excited. Well, I 15 Jim, and 0. Jim, anything <laughs> jump off the, you know, I, I guess at first glance, anything jump off the, the screen to you? No, I think Rob talked about Kevin Williams. I, I agree with the, the first team. I think he will be a, a starter. You know, I we didn't see him in the spring, but our Isaiah Garcia Castaneda, I've got an eye on him. I think he's going to be pretty good. So I could see him potentially at some point getting in that starting line lineup there. But I think everything else looks pretty good. Dave? Uh, yeah, so I think um, I, I love Casey Thompson. You know, and I, I was a huge Adrian fan, and I, I was wondering how we were going to replace him. I, I love Casey Thompson. I think he's – a phenomenal he's got a big time arm big time bazooka arm I think he's poised I think he's got some great leadership to him so I think anchoring the offense on him is extremely exciting for me uh and I like we've been talking about I think that the wide receivers feel great to me we're pretty deep there you know I I tweeted earlier we've got you know we're 12 deep of guys that I feel pretty good about Omar Manning Trey Palmer Alante Brown Marcus Washington so wide receiver room I feel great about the the running back one room oh there you go there we go yeah, there it is. It's Omar Manning, Trey Palmer, Alante Brown, Marcus Washington. I mean, they, like that's that's six guys deep that I feel great about. You know, those are six four stars that are all extremely talented, or extremely fast, big guys. Uh, so I feel really good there. Even after losing bets, if you really add in Marcus Washington, like that, that to me is a quick swap. I, I would say the one that jumps out to me is the running back room um, because I, I just don't know that room to me. You know, we went we went through what we went six guys deep last year. Um, with injuries and everything else going on. So I think, you know, is Gabe Irvin going to be healthy? Is, is Ramir Johnson going to be able to, to, you know, continue to elevate? I think he had a great year last year. I would love to see Yant in there. You know, I'd love to see him be an every down at back. Like he had the best game in the history of Nebraska running backs against Northwestern and sort of didn't do as much every other game. So I, I don't know what happened there. And I, I think there's plenty of other talent there. Um, you know, Anthony Grant, as you mentioned here. So I, I think that that room – those are the three areas that I tend to focus on. And um, mm-hmm. I feel great about quarterback, feel great about wide receiver, running back. We need, we need a bell cow and we just haven't had that. And we just kind of keep like spiraling through guys. Right. So I, I would love to see that bell cow emerge. That can be the Amir Abdullah, the Rex Burkhead, the mm-hmm. Roy Hulu, like any of those guys that we haven't had in, you know, kind of a while. Dave. And I just want to emphasize that too, because we've said it here before is that, there was no consistency in in a couple of those positions. Like, you know, one guy, you know, whether it was a wide receiver or a running back would come out and have a great game, one game or have a great half. And then all of a sudden you just don't see that player again for an entire game or an entire half at, at the end of a game. Um, you know, Yant, you know, or, you know, you yeah, against you Purdue. Know, 
Yeah, I mean, and there was a bunch of wider games too, where like we're texting in our own personal text thread, where we're where we're going, like, where has this guy been this entire half? Where is it? And I hope that with some of the experience of this of this new coaching staff that they brought in, that they become a little bit more consistent when it comes to, you know, making sure that guys understand what their role are going to be. So when they do come in. You know they're they're going to play to 100. There's not going to be any doubt in their head of, as to where they stand on this team, right? I yeah, I think it's I think it's a great point. It's like one game Yant has 160 yards, the next game he doesn't get a carry. One game Omar Manning is targeted 15 times and then you know disappears the next game. And it's just this weird where like I'm I'm with you, Rob, on Omar Manning. I keep thinking he's he's going to be like you know this 10 targeted game guy every game, getting the ball, and it just sort of he ends up with like two or three targets. So those, those tend to be confusing to me. And um, yeah, I would agree. It's like, once you have the top guys emerge, let's get them the ball. We need to have Dave on every podcast, man. This guy agrees with me on so many things. I, I, <laughs> my, I thought my ego was big enough. I'm not even going to be able to fit through the door when I leave. Tonight, so yeah, I have so many things about this off season offensively mm-hmm. that I, I would have said the same 12 months ago. Uh, I think having a mobile quarterback is a huge advantage to Nebraska. And at the same token, he doesn't need to be the number one rusher on the team. We need a downhill running game. So that fumble against Illinois last year, an Illinois game was like the disaster of disasters. Everything that I wanted to see, I didn't see. When it was third and one and we're lining up in a shotgun with a with a, a diamond set over there on the left and we miss the open receiver and then he runs and he fumbles it and all that stuff. I'm sitting there going, get under center. Get under center, get a fullback out there in the field. Yeah. We talk about Yant. I'll tell you what, at the very least, at the very least, we could find a way to get two backs on the field. And and, and I've seen that with this offensive coordinator. I've seen that style of play. Um, you know, Redcasters, I've mentioned this before. Go and watch the last drive, the final drive of Pitt against uh, uh, Tennessee last year. At, at an SEC team, they needed to close the game out, finish it out, and they got a couple of first downs getting in an eye formation and running the ball. And they and they got the first downs and game ended. Think about Nebraska last year and how many times we struggled at the end just to finish the game, whatever it was. So, you know, and I, I've said fullback for five years and I get beat up by, you know, stop living in the past of fullback. I love fullbacks. I love physical football. And I can tell you Brett Bielema would have got into that, that yeah. under center and that's how he would have got third and one against us. And we created an entire challenge of how to, how to get a third and one. And partly because – you know, the institutional knowledge of the uh, coaching staff, we didn't know how to adjust at that time to a four-man front. And I, I, that's almost laughable when I think of what Coach Osborne was telling us about, you know, they could line up in a game and go, yeah, you know, this is weird what they're doing, but do you remember when Missouri did this in 1978? Yeah, how did we defend it? Okay, we did this thing. And we go and we play, you know, Northwestern, like, oh, four-man front, never seen that. Give me the headset. I'm going to take the headset away from you, Lubick, who has been a former coordinator at a Power 5 level. You know, that's the stuff that has to end this year. And I think we have the staff to end that. It has to end. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the transition, I think, in the development of, of Frost. I think it's a good question. I think if you look at the players, we have a lot of players. I think we were excited about you guys mentioned Omar Manning, all these running backs. But I think the bigger question is we have to maximize in a short window of time for next season. You've got Frost's running game, Whipple's passing game that have to at some point come together pretty quickly mm-hmm. in, in, in Dublin, Ireland here at the end of August to, to, to be able to formulate an offensive game plan. And so I, I've heard a lot of Husker fans, and I, rightfully so, right? There's some consternation and there's some, there's some hand gripping about how that's going come to come to fruition. Mm-hmm. 
But the question I would pose is, what if it does? Okay, so what if you do are able to marry the one of the best offensive um, offenses from last year, Pittsburgh, with an experienced offensive coordinator who helped develop a first-round draft pick at quarterback, who maximizes in the red zone with an offensive-minded coach who has won a Broyles Award, who, is, who has coordinated um, some very efficient offenses. Uh, I think we were – you know, one of the top offenses for points or for yards per play. What if these two guys can figure it out and, and merge their system with the quarterback that Dave loves and Casey Thompson with a running back room. You hope that three guys emerge with this, this, this massive now seven, eight guys, wide receivers. And what if, why, why can't it happen? You know, Jim's I, just I, guzzling I the Kool-Aid, just guzzle it, Jim. Yeah. You've got well, realist in I your description. Jim. Just I, I, guzzle the Kool-Aid, Jim. I, I hear why I hear all these reasons why it can't happen and why we should be fearful, but, <laughs> but why, why can't it happen? Why, why is it, why is it harder to think about Whipple and Frost figuring it out versus let's just say like a team like Iowa, right. Who brought back a, a, a offensive coordinator, and a, and a quarterback who were one of the worst offenses in football. They brought him back, but yet we give them benefit of the doubt because it's Iowa. And they're going to figure it out because offense is apparently easy, according to Kurt Ferentz, right? I'm not picking on Iowa. I'm just saying, like, that was a terrible offense. But mm-hmm. they came back next year, and yet they're going to be picked to potentially, you know, vie for the Big Ten West. Why can't our what-ifs work I, I, I think we're starting from a, a very good point on offense in the sense that we have a lot of talent and we can move the ball. We've proven that we can, we need to convert yards into points. That's one thing. Correct. I yep. think of the Iowa example and just think of the last three years. And this is, we're not going to get into special teams on this one, but we change special teams coordinators and think about the Iowa game. The last three years, we've had a pick six get turned around and we kick a kickoff to them in 2019 and they run it back for a touchdown. Two years ago, uh, we're getting momentum, and they punt the ball to us, and Cam Taylor Britt fumbles the, the punt return. Last year, we punt the ball, and they block it and score a touchdown. These are all one-score losses, and special teams matter too. I mean, Iowa, I'm not taking anything away from them. They've been so good on defense yeah. and so good on and on special teams. That's allowed them to win a lot of games. We need to get better across the board, but I like – it's also – it doesn't hurt to have some talent on offense. It doesn't hurt to have some explosiveness, and I think that – if we can convert the yards that we've put up into points the way that they should be, which is basically just being a more efficient offense, watch the hell out, man. We can blow up. We can put some points on teams because we've squ- and we have done things to teams. I've never we put 105 yards on Wisconsin in one drive and didn't go, score. Go back. I, mean, I, I don't even know how yeah. to like. How do you say? You know how many times that? Think about that. Over 100 yards and we scored no points. That is. Yeah. You can't be less efficient than that. Um, but well, I think you still have the ability to do it. I, I think, and I think I, I agree to Jim. I think it's like that's that's what makes this. This is I feel like one of the most interesting off seasons. Like we talk about the off season national championship a lot, but the you know the closest we came was for our second year when we were dark horses to win the national championship entirely, and yet Adrian is like the Heisman front runner. Like that was one of the best off season performances we've ever had. This one's close. <laughs> this is close because. You, you like all these pieces fit. You've got a phenomenal D coordinator and he just added three of the best guys in the entire portal. And so like you mm-hmm. have the core there on defense. So the defense is pretty strong already. And you add in Mathis, you add in a pass rusher, which is what we needed. We added Drew. 
you know, and, you know, I think when you add these guys in, you're like, oh, shoot, okay, so the pieces are there. But I do agree with you, Hockey, like it's going to come down to special teams, and that's what this whole season came down to, is I think our D is going to be stout. I do actually think the offense is going to work out, Jim. Like I think I think Whipple's going to be able to figure this thing out, and the offense is going to work. Yeah, I think it's going to be on Bush's shoulders. I do. I think, like, if he can get mm-hmm. us to, like, mediocre special teams instead of, like, abysmally horrible, I think, you know, this – this is a minimum nine win team if you can do that. But like if, if we're abysmally horrible and we can't kick PATs and like, even in the spring game, we're punting balls like eight yards again. It's just like, we got, if we can get that to mediocre, this is going to be a phenomenal football team. Can we, can we do you, be mediocre? Do you think that Bush, that's how he got the job. Like when Frost brought him in, he's like, look, man, what do you think? And he's like, look, dude, I promise you, we can be mediocre. <laughs> we can be, we can be not absolutely horrible. Yeah, we can be, you, there were times last year were mediocre. I was like, how can we get there? I mean, that's. I mean, the, the the Michigan State thing came up oh. again, and that was the first time I'd seen that highlight because I just refused to watch that highlight. You, like you were just kicking it to the wrong side of the field. You know, yeah. that was like won that game. You win that game. Well, that's a, that that's was, a win. The Iowa game's a win. All these games are wins on just like Wisconsin. They they returned the kickoff against us and Michigan, you know, against Michigan State. You kicked the bad punt there, but the reason that punter was on the field was because our other punter went out and kicked a 12-yard punt and then turned around the next week against Northwestern and kicked an 84-yarder. It's like, how do you – You missed three field goals against Ohio State. Oh, you I mean, the PAT, the, the PAT Oklahoma. issues are a disaster. The, yeah, Oklahoma, you're missing PATs. They're getting returned for – I mean, the, the fact that we can, like, rattle these off, and I, I think we – even on the last podcast we might have talked about this with Bill Bush was, like, what – um who was it? I, you know, one of the players on the 2012 team was saying like with, with Bill Bush's special teams, you don't think about special teams. That's what makes good special teams is yeah. like, they're so boring. They just, we don't even think about it. Like, yep, we're going to punt the ball and then we're going to, you know, we're going to punt the ball and they're just going to be on the 20 yard. Well, line they're going to have athletes on special teams now too, because even Joseph said, I, and I've, I don't know how many times I've said this on the show that, you know, Mickey Joseph even said, my guys are going to be playing special teams. Like in the past, they weren't making guys play special teams if they didn't want to kind of thing. He's like, my guys know if they want to play for me at all, they're going to play special they're going to teams. Be gunners. Yeah. And those are going to be gunners. And, and yeah, exactly. So it's like, you know, these guys, it, it, it's a different mentality. I don't, I don't care what anybody else says. Like that is, if, if you try to argue with me and tell me, tell me that it's not a different mentality with this coaching staff and with the way that these guys are approaching the game in general, then you're just not paying attention and you're just being negative for negativity's sake. Well, that happens. And let's let's transfer over to defense here. And uh, that will be kind of the final segment of this. And a couple of tweets again here. Um, obviously, the first one here, Stephen Wynn uh, committing yesterday. So that's another defensive tackle there from Alabama. Um, and then, uh, Dave, you posted there the defensive losses that we've had, the D-line losses, Casey Rogers, Ben Stilley, Damian Daniels, DeAndre Thomas, Fidelius Payne, Jordan Riley, the defense line gains, O'Shawn Mathis, Devin Drew, Stephen Wynn, uh, Applegate, Brody Tagaloya, and then the returners, Ty Robinson, Polar Bear, Jalen Weaver, Raquan Buckley, Messiah Newsom, Colton Feast. Uh, I like, and I like that too. I think that's, you know, that shows again, we're going to lose some guys in the portal. You're going to gain some too. I, I think step for step here, I, I'm happy with what we got. I think um, getting Drew in here, a guy who has 900 snaps over the last two years of power five football at Texas Tech is a big deal. And I think when, certainly feel uh, you know fills a a position of need from that big body and uh, i don't know you know i'm not i'll show you the depth chart here i guess we did create a depth chart here and this is kind of again throwing it out into the wind here we we had to change it because the originally wind wasn't even on the 
<laughs> hadn't committed yet when we created the first uh, depth chart. But I think what was interesting here, and I'm going to start with Jim on this one because I think uh, we had some changing in the, let's start in the, the secondary. And originally I had, you know, Javier, J- Javier, is it Javier or Javier Morton? I'm Javier. Javier. Okay. I'm awful with names, obviously. So I had him at, at the uh, safety and I had Marcus Buford backing him up at corner. We swapped that around. Uh, you kind of, I'll start the same way, I guess, with the offense. You look at this first thing that, you know, comes off the screen to you as you're looking at this. You know, we talked about the all the guys in the secondary, but now with the influx of, of uh, defensive line people or uh, defensive tackles specifically, Ty Robinson is kind of interesting to me because if you were to ask Devin Drew or Stephen Wynn, are you you're comfortable with just being a backup to Ty Robinson? The answer would be no. And so do I expect Ty Robinson to not start? No, but I do expect there could be competition between him and, and Devin Drew and, and uh, Stephen Wynn. He's got real competition now. So I think that's good for Ty Robinson. I, know I expect to have a big season next year, but I'm really interested to see how he's pushed this next season. Um, but other than that, I think I agree with your with your lineup there. I mean, I, the, one, the one maybe is, is the nickelback, uh, Chris Klarovic. You know, if we do look at like Isaac Gifford or if um, Marcus Buford moves down to that nickel spot, I could see Isaac Gifford moving Klarovic out and being a starter. Mm-hmm. What about Tanner here? Because, you know, so obviously we're taking some liberties with how we did this uh, alignment. We did a 4-3. And so yeah. we have two defensive ends, O'Shawn Mathis and, and Garrett Nelson. We only have two defensive tackles on the field. And this is something I asked uh, Damon Benning about a month ago. Or I was like, can you actually need less depth from true defensive lineman bodies in a four-man front versus a three-man? And and he agreed on this. He's like, well, actually, you're right. Because in a three-man front, you need three down defensive lineman bodies. Mm-hmm. In a four-man front, you really only need the two middle ones with two defensive ends. I and mean, it's one less guy. And, um, and in this case here, I mean, that moved Caleb Tanner. Basically, we're making him a stand-up linebacker out you know, either a strong side or weak side or boundary field, however they want to call it. But um, Dave, I'll go with you here. I guess, you again, first impressions of this and, and what are your thoughts on on the switching of that, you know, to a 4-3 and what you're seeing there with the, this alignment? Well, I guess we're, you know, to your question on like the first thoughts, I think what's been interesting about the narrative of the offseason is, and not enough attention has been paid to this, that, you know, Reimer and Henrik are two of the best tacklers in the entire Big Ten. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's where then it was like, and I just like looked at the stats. Like, I mean, these guys are, you know, both top five in total tackles and tackles for loss. Like those are dudes, like those are dudes to anchor on. And then Garrett Nelson being a leader, you know, a leader there too. I, I think we're, uh, you know, when you have that thing popped up, like you're, it's like, you're set for like, yeah. So you're like set for those positions. You feel great about Luke Reimer. You feel great about Henrik. You feel great about Nelson feel pretty strong about Ty Robinson. And so like so mm-hmm. much of the, and you feel pretty good about the secondary, strong secondary, which is, I, I think that so much of the narrative of the off season is then like, Oh shoot, what are we gonna do for D tackles? Like we're, you know, we're, we're in huge trouble on the D line. And then we filled those gaps, right? If you add in Mathis and you add in Drew and then you add in, uh, you know, win today that then you're like, Oh wow. Like those are the missing pieces in a defense. That's extremely strong. Like for me, I think when you have the anchor points of like the, you know, Barrett and Bo rude type players, that are going to make the tackles and all you need is a guy, you know, a couple of these big bodies up front. It's the making of a strong defense that I think that's where it's like now that the, now that the holes are plugged, 
you feel pretty good about it. I don't know. It's like you're missing a pass rusher. You got Matthews. Mm-hmm. You're missing a big body. You got Drew. And, you, and then, you know, as an anchor point, you have three of the best tacklers in the conference. It's a strong D. And I, I think that I'm pretty optimistic about the defense because you just bring back so many, so much experience that it doesn't concern me as much on plugging in at O'Shawn Mathis and just being like, hey, your job's to get the quarterback. That's mm-hmm. it. We Everything were, else is taken care of. I was really comfortable with the original one I had before Win had committed. I was comfortable with Colton Feast as a second string D lineman on the second team there. I think he's going to be a contributor and play a lot of snaps this year. But to move him off that now with Wynn coming in, and if he's now your number five D tackle, and then, you know, Jim, I think we had a conversation one time about like, okay, it's about developing developing your number six guy now. And that number six guy, it still could be, I know there's like a Juco that we're potentially still looking at. It could be somebody coming in, but it also could be out of that group of Black and Weaver and Newsom and yeah. Buckley. And I mean, there's I could go down the list and and – at some point, yeah, we got to develop one of those guys into number six. But when you look at that, that's a heck of a lot different narrative than what was being presented, on, especially on social media two months ago, when it's like, oh my God, we're going to line up a, in Ireland, not have a not have a defensive tackle on the on the the roster. No, again, slow down, eat some dip. We're going to be okay. <laughs> and and you know, just looking at this, I mean, people can argue about the positioning of how we did some of this. But this is the show. I mean, there are some bodies out there, and there's some guys. And it's a nice mix, too. This goes back to the balance. It's a nice mix. There are some transfers in there, but I'm seeing a lot of names that are very familiar, too. And I, I think Garrett Nelson, it starts right up there with him being a leader. And, uh, you know, we need that on the black shirts. I think one of the nice things about just hearing you guys discuss the defense here is it sounds like when you're when you guys are talking about it, it makes it sound like there's some depth there, right? There, there's, like, potential for depth there, too. And you have – you have Nash on the second team. And my thought is like, you know, if, if you've got Nash as this on the second team, you know, and not starting like as a run stopper, right. First and second down type of guy. Like, I mean, you're in a pretty good position. Cause that, that's a big kid to plug up a lot of holes. And I'm, I see him a little bit more. I mean, obviously starting in a team where you're rotating a lot, isn't always like the number one priority, right? Like, sure you're a starter but you know he's going to still be see a lot of playing time on the field this year i think too on on those run plays and i think it's just exciting like listening to you guys even just talk about it like oh i was gonna have this guy here but i moved him off and he's not even on the chart so it's depth is is like the big key right there and that's you know that's something that i hope our listeners are are hearing too so Mm -hmm. Any final thoughts from uh, any of you guys on the depth charts that we just did there? I know that's a lot to go over in a short period of time, offense and defense. But I guess the question that comes to mind for me, just as I'm, I'm now thinking about who we lost, is who replaces Cam Taylor Britt as the guy? What do you guys think is like? Because uh, he was phenomenal the last two seasons uh, from a I'm shutdown a corner. Guy. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm so impressed with Newsom. I think he's a physical corner, and he. Uh, He's a guy. I mean, he's got all the athleticism. Now he's got you know a good couple years under his belt. Um, I really like building something around him. I don't know enough about Tommy Hill, and I think I even did I list him on first string. I did. I put Tommy Hill there. I honestly I don't know. I haven't seen enough out, out of him to to elevate him to the Cam Taylor Britt one. But I I feel really good with Newsom out there. Jim. I agree. I think Newsom's the guy. I think he's performed well last year. I think he had like seventy some odd tackles. Is that? Does that sound familiar? So he's a solid tackler. He's got good hand skills. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, we'll see. I think he's going to be pushed in that room. But I, I think I agree with you, Anki. I think he's ready for a big year. 
And that, you know, the Nickelback, we act, you know, if you count this up, there's actually 12 guys listed here. The Nickelback is that extra one. And I was a little surprised, honestly, when Kolarevich was listed in spring at nickel. I wasn't expecting him to be that spot. To me, he is a, he's almost like a 4-3 kind of middle linebacker in my, in my mind. But, um, but he also tested out of the, out of the, the roof. So, I mean, I'm guess, guessing, you know, he certainly has some of the speed and everything to be able to do the nickel there. Same thing with Gifford. Um, we'll see that that's a weird position too, because it's Jojo's position. And does Jojo's position just translate perfectly to this year when you don't have Jojo? I don't know, you know, and, uh, but I know that I, we've got the bodies to run a four, three for sure. And I think long-term it makes a lot of sense to continue going back to a four, three, cause you just, the body types are, I think are easier to, to build and get for that. Sometimes the three, four, man, it's so specific. It's, you gotta have that you know, that 280 pound defensive end and 290 pound guy. And, and sometimes it, I just think the body types that we can find, you know, can, can be easier out of four three, but I'm also biased against that. And Shenander knows a lot more defense than I know. So, <laughs> well, uh, you know, guys, this is about exactly what I was hoping for. I was hoping about an hour and a half. We're at an hour and 20, and this gives us a good chance to get into uh, some parting shots. But I just want to say, number one, thank you guys for joining us again. This is a lot of fun. It was fun with our pre-spring one. We should probably do one, you know, pre-fall camp too as we get into August or whatever. But uh, uh, enjoyed this a lot. Uh, I'm going to start with Redcast Rob, parting shot. Well, sorry. So my kids watch this TV show, A for Adley, on YouTube, and it absolutely is just the worst. But um, the the dad on the show, name is Sean Durris, and he I follow him on Twitter and you know, he, he tweeted out something and, and I retweeted it during the show. And I just want to read it to all of our listeners and to all the Husker fans that do listen to us, you know, here in the upcoming time. It's perspective. If I'm positive, it seems the world and people around me are positive. If I'm frustrated, it seems the world and people around me are frustrating. So really in my life, I try is how I perceive it. And by controlling my perception, I can somewhat control my life. And I will just say that to all you Husker fans out there about your perception of this team and the type of attitude that you need to take over the summer, get introspective, think about it. How, what kind of Husker fan do you want to be? Do you want to be somebody who just brings negativity into your life every single day and just wants to be a hater? Or do you want to be the kind of person that just looks forward to seeing football again and looks forward to seeing Nebraska be a winning team again and just hope with every ounce of your energy that they will succeed. That's will you marry right. me? That's deep, man. That's deep. Yeah. I can't and stop th- that. I thank you, Sean Durris. Thank you, Sean Durris. <laughs> That's great, Rob. Yeah. Jim, how about you? I just want to thank you guys, Rob and, and, and Honky, for having us on again. This is always a blast. And I apologize about my audio issues for the folks watching. I, 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 Thought I had my phone charged. Anyways, thanks for having us on. These are always fun, and and you know I I agree with with what you said, Rob. I mean, I'm a very optimistic person by nature, and you know I'm a fan of Nebraska. So I get frustrated when Nebraska fans get so down and out, and they just think, no, I'm not going to get hyped up with Dave's off-season championships that he wants to throw out every single day, right? I enjoy that stuff. I I get it. I'm a realist. I understand the mission at hand, but gosh, have fun with it. Why else would you? want to be a fan of a team that you don't enjoy following. So, I mean, every season's going to be a challenge. Every football team has its ups and downs, but get behind your team and, and enjoy, you know, your team you, you, you like following. And 
Stop complaining. I don't go to church, but I swear to God, man, this is this feels like my Monday sermon. I'll call it. My Lord, this is awesome. That's right, Dave. Dave's gonna bring us down now. He's just yeah, yeah, Dave. Bring, yeah, bring Dave. Down, Dave, Dave, not drinking the Kool Aid with me, right? Like, <laughs> no, I mean, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna finish where we started. I think we've like come a long ways in the off season. We picked up a bunch of guys, but we're still not there. We are we are second according to Vegas of winning the Big Ten West from betting odds standpoint. I want to finish first. By the time the season starts, I want our odds to be number one to win the Big Ten West. That would be a successful offseason. And I'd like to have somebody in the Heisman consideration going into the season. That's the stuff the fans can control. Then once the season kicks off, everything else, all the narratives are out of our control. But for right now, we can control the narrative. We can keep the hype going. We can keep the excitement going. And I think that's, uh, you know, the success is can we get to the point that we are favored to win the entire Big Ten, even though we have no business as a three and nineteen being there? I think we can do it. We can flip it. We Michigan had no business State's as a three and nineteen. Yeah, Michigan State's a great example for us to follow. It. So Northwestern flipped it. Northwestern flipped it. Yep. Yep. We can flip it. Um, I'll uh, my parting shot here. I posted something on uh, well yesterday. It was the thirtieth anniversary of Johnny Carson's last show on the Tonight Show. And, uh, that was awesome. That was cool. so 30 years yeah. ago. Well, about a year or so after that, he uh, got he went to the Kennedy Center and the Kennedy Honors. And uh, I want to show this uh, video. This is pretty great. Awesome video. This has been a pretty good year for the state of Nebraska. The University of Nebraska Cornhuskers are the nation's top-ranked football team. And one of her sons was named to receive the Kennedy Center Honor. Johnny Carson has been very quietly revealing it here tonight, very generous to the university over the years. And a few of the students just wanted to come here tonight and say, thank you, Johnny. That look at the end on That's his awesome. face, the smile. You know, that guy, you think of everybody that he's ever talked to on his show over the years. You think of every experience he's had, and you could never take Nebraska out of him. I mean, he did a great episode back in the early 80s where he went back to Norfolk and and saw a bunch of the, the people that he knew for, for many years. And that kind of thing, I mean, just listening to that song, I've got goosebumps right now. Just listen to the band go out there and play. Um, I mean, if you want to end on a positive note there, everything you guys said, that right there, um, uh, there's uh, there's nothing I'd ever want to be other than a Husker fan, and I just want to see us get back to to that that level where you know it's it's fun to talk about this with everyone, and and we don't have the negatives and all that. It's just look, we're all in the same boat. When this train is running in the same direction, and everyone's behind it, man. There's nothing better to be a part of. So uh, that's why we do what we do. But uh, 
Thank Honky, you guys that's going to be you, man. You're going to be Johnny Carson at the end of this, and like me and Jim are going to fly in the band for your uh, your big award ceremony. <laughs> Rob can be Doc, I guess. So you know. Oh, sorry. You're going big time, man. You got Ozzy going on there. You got David Benning coming on. You got all these big dogs coming on. Like it's not. It's it's going to be like three months from now. I'm going to be like Jim and Dave. We're not going to have them on anymore. I've like moved on. We got like simple. We got the big dogs coming in. Like I mean, we don't have any don't time. Hey, look, listen, man. We don't even have Boomer and Dave on the show right now. So, I mean, watch out, world. Honky and I are taking over and everything. We've got, and we've got some good shows, good episodes uh, coming uh, down the pike, too. So, so yeah. keep listening, uh, Redcasters. Uh, follow Jim at HuskersMN. Follow Dave at HusGuys. Uh, there's about 40,000 of you or whatever already doing that. And, Dave, I love it, man. You've got that. You've created the secondary accounts, too, the, the Husker photos and random whatever it's awesome and you've created a an entire dynasty of i just want to get to a thousand followers before the season starts ever redcasters help redcast rob get to a thousand followers so anyways until next time thank you so much for paying attention and listening tonight and that's another go big Redcast. go big red Hoda Media Production.